Welcome to Women on Wealth, a podcast by women for women. Our mission is to empower women to embrace the discussion around wealth, demystify finance and market-related topics, and break down the emotions that surround these decisions. Your host is Julina Ogilvy, Partner and Wealth Advisor with Principal Wealth Partners. She is a certified private wealth advisor and a certified investment management analyst with over 25 years of industry experience. Well, welcome everyone to a very important and insightful conversation around the debt ceiling, uh, what you need to know. Uh, This topic has come into attention with the media over the last couple of months, uh, creating concern not only amongst investors, but citizens overall. We've received a lot of questions from clients as to what it actually means, what are the potential outcomes from this, and some of the implications to the market. So to have this conversation with me today, uh, I have Bob Paolucci, our founder and CEO here at Principal Wealth Partners. Bob, welcome back. Good afternoon. So you and I are used to talking a lot about the markets and the economy. This is a little bit different. <laughs> a little different. We're talking about government and uh, policies, but let's give it a crack. Let's give it a crack. So I, you know, as as I mentioned, there's a lot of questions around what it actually means, and we have some slides prepared uh, to to kind of help us walk through this. So let's let's start with the definition of of the debt ceiling, if we can. Absolutely, go for it. Uh, yeah. So I have the the technical definition is is a legislative limit on the amount of money that the government can borrow to meet its uh, existing obligations. And if you want to maybe put some color around that definition, that would be great. Absolutely. Yeah. And the uh, the actual number uh, is $31.4 trillion. Exactly. Is, which you can see here on the far, far right. That is the government's credit limit. Exactly. Uh, and the, the spending is, well, the spending that I think we all know about that is social security, that's interest on government debt, that is Medicaid, um, that is um, uh, defense spending and veterans affairs. That's everything that the government spends money on uh, monthly, annually, so on and so forth. Um, and obviously, uh, over the past couple of years, the government has been spending quite a bit more money. Um, therefore, we are uh, really at the at the limit. And um, Janet Yellen, the uh, Treasury Secretary, the head of the Treasury, she announced um, that in late January, the government has reached its limit. And uh, that is true. So now what the, um, how the government is functioning and how it's paying is, its bills is based on extraordinary measures, which we'll get into, that in essence means it's living paycheck to paycheck. That will be a great way to get everyone to understand what's going on right now. For sure. And and I think this slide goes all the way back to the early 70s. You can see that we're going to talk about this in a moment. Uh, The debt limit or the debt ceiling, excuse me, is not new. Uh, This actually was created back in 1917. And you can see over the course of time how this has increased. Yeah. And the the spending and debt limit increases over time, it's really been a bipartisan issue. Uh, you know, the, the real difference is b- between the two parties is what government spends money on. It's not um, if we spend money and how much, it's what it's spent on. I want to clarify that for everybody. Yeah. Uh, depending on the, the party in power, um, um, you know, 
those who have the most leverage will be complaining um, about not being able to spend X, Y, and Z on the various things that they want to spend money on and vice versa. So this just shows you over time um, how many times the debt ceiling or the credit limit has been increased under various presidents since 1960. You see it's a very bipartisan issue. Yeah, absolutely. And and in fact, if you go back to World War II, the, the debt ceiling has been increased over 100 times. And yet still the media makes it sound like it's occurring for the first time when we're when we're living in the moment. That's right. And it has successfully been increased 100 times. It has never not been increased. And the government has never defaulted on its debt. Decision day, or the X date, as they refer to it when talking about the uh debt ceiling. Government is set to run out of money uh, sometime late summer. Um, and we we hope that uh, Congress can come together and figure something out. We think they will like they always have, uh, but we want to um, inform our clients, our viewers uh, about this and how it should be a non-issue. Um, it could create a, a spike in volatility uh, later this year. Um, but ultimately, if it does, it's worth buying into that volatility. Yeah, and I think that that's a great segue actually to the next slide because we we technically hit the debt ceiling in January of this year. Um, now you're hearing a lot of language around the fact that they're using extraordinary measures uh, in in terms of how to how to manage through this process. And I think this is if you can talk a little bit about this slide and and some of the options that they uh, decisions I guess they have to make. That's right. So uh, again, you see the line there, the debt uh, limit of $31.4 trillion was reached at uh, the end of January. And now we are you know, pretty much right at that cap. But the living to living paycheck to paycheck nature of government, the tax receipts. So you know, if you owe tax, you have to pay those uh, tax bills by April 15th. Um, on top of estimates, uh, your first estimate is also due April 15th. Your second is due in June. Um, and then you have other estimates due later in the year. So the government is um, planning on those tax payments um, and anxiously awaiting that cash flow so they can continue to make payments on the various things that they pay. And this is a good chart showing um, inflows of cash, outflows of expenses, and how it will sort of come to a head uh, towards the end of summer. Yeah. And, and Bob, is it fair to say that they also can prioritize different types of debt? And they have done this in the past where they can maybe delay some of the less critical payments, uh, you know, they I hate to say it, but not, playing, not paying federal workers, et cetera. They they can do that. Yeah. So So they can tinker with the things that they do during a government shutdown. They delay government employee uh, pension contributions, um, you know, retirement contributions. Um, uh, there's a little bit of wiggle room that falls under the extraordinary measures, um, uh, but eventually those those techniques will come to a head um, towards the end of the year. Yeah, and I think as you're explaining this, this is this is the exact reason that no one can put a date on. Uh, on when this can go till uh, Janet Yellen has an estimate. Economists have made, you know, are suggesting that maybe it's later in the fall. If you can maybe expand a little on that. Yeah. So Janet Yellen's date for um, her uh, ex date. 
her 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 ex date her date for when the government will actually run out of money is June. And there's a reason why she does that. She knows that it'll take months to get government to negotiate. Um, and she wants to leave enough wiggle room um, for um, the government to respond slowly um, and aggressively to each other to try mm-hmm. to negotiate some type of resolution. So that is why she used June as a um, as a date, let's say. Um, oftentimes the treasury secretary in, in prior debt ceiling conversations will give about three months of wiggle room. Um, and it just so happens that June is a, is a, about right. Right. Exactly. Thank you. And, and I'm going to ask this next question. Um, I think this is, this is an extreme as we're going to talk about, can, can, can we default? Uh, we, we can, we shouldn't, um, <laughs> because the U S government's credit quality is triple uh, a rated it has never been challenged um we have always paid our bills um and it's not something we want to jeopardize sure. there are some extreme loopholes that we can consider mm-hmm. uh, but i think if if government starts talking about this stuff um as an actual option, it means we're in trouble. Number one, there is a massive prioritization plan where um, some bills would get paid and some wouldn't, um, which I I think really creates a default. But there are some saying that maybe we can pay Social Security and Medicaid and not pay the interest on U.S. government debt securities or principal, at least for a short period of time. I think ultimately that would create a technical default, and it's something that we just want to avoid. Um, The second is invoking the 14th Amendment. Um, Yes, uh, certainly an option. Um, It's a little gray in nature, um, and it's something that would take about two to three months. Um, And So I think that's if that's something that we're going to test that should be started maybe in May sure. uh, rather than last minute. Um, and really the, the 14th amendment states that the president in power has the ability um, no matter what to um, service the debt of the country. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that's fine for the, uh, paying of interest on government bonds and paying maturities on government bonds. But what about Medicare and Social Security? That is technically um, an expense created by Congress. And to pay for it, we have created debt. Does that make sense? So, so I think it's a gray area where not all, if we do go down that road, I, I don't think all expenses uh, will qualify under the 14th Amendment. I think it'll just be the debt service, uh, in essence, interest and principal repayments on our maturing government securities. Okay. So again, this is why I think this is a bad group of options here, but we should <laughs> talk about them because our listeners uh, either heard of them or will hear more of them as uh, time passes. Absolutely. And I think the third one is a really interesting one here. The third in one is your is your favorite. <laughs> um, mint a trillion dollar coin. 
uh, made of platinum, of course. Um, so the idea is for the U.S. Mint, a government entity, to create a rare coin um, or coins, plural, and to sell them for a trillion dollars, creating a trillion dollars of income that wasn't there prior to this. Um, you do not create debt by creating a coin. It's just a asset that you create out of thin air and you sell it. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea would be to um, really generate revenue with no debt associated with it. But there are complications. Number one, what is the market for this? Number two, uh, would the Fed even accept this? I don't think they would. I think it's... Um, I think this is fantasy land thinking, but you know, if you listen to any stories in CNBC or Bloomberg, I'm sure you're going to come across all three of these or one of them, and that is simply why we're talking about it. Yeah, but again, these are these are the most extreme types of measures possible, and, and so I, I guess then based on that comment, what's the more feasible option that we have? The more feasible option uh, is to increase the debt ceiling, mm -hmm. and what we have up in front of you here is um, a little research that we did. We compared 2011, which is the last time the debt ceiling um, uh, was a significant issue for the capital markets and for government. Sure. And <clears throat> we compared it to today. So we go back to the 112th Congress and the makeup of Congress, and we compare it to the 118th Congress, the makeup of Congress today, okay. and there is a major, major difference. The um, In 2010, there was a massive red wave in the House of Representatives. It created a shift from the year prior of... Um, plus 64 Republicans, which landed Republicans with a plus 24 seat majority. Mm -hmm. So a pretty significant majority back in um, 2011. Sure. The last net ceiling was, you know, a significant issue. Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of leverage that the Republicans in the House had, a lot of leverage, right? So, so they could have lost... 23 um, of their own party votes sure. uh, to the other side, and they still would have been able to, in essence, hold government hostage uh, to the debt ceiling talks. This go round, I think we're all familiar with the outcome of the midterm elections. Mm -hmm. Republicans only have a four seat majority. Um, so, so, so the two eighteen required Republicans have two hundred and twenty two seats. So, therefore, Republicans can't afford to lose many votes here. Right. Uh, the debt ceiling. I think this is the biggest issue that nobody is talking about. There are so many comparisons being made to twenty eleven and what happened, um, and not enough attention on the makeup of government, which is why uh, twenty eleven became a um, real issue in the capital markets. Um, and it forced Obama to actually, um, cut some of the spending out of his, uh, out of his budget. Sure. So, so, so big you, difference. Yeah. You typically don't see a compromise. You typically see debt limit increases regardless of party. 
um, this go round, you have a very narrow majority in government. And I think um, it's so close that, you know, I, I can I can count on my hand um, uh, the number of Republicans that will likely um, cross cross parties. Sure. Uh, they don't want to be in the um, in harm's way when it comes to uh, the political process next time they're up for uh, for a vote. OK, so given think, this narrow margin. Yeah, um, I think this is the biggest issue. I, I, I don't think. Republicans will be able to actually get much, if anything. Um, uh, I, I think there will simply be a debt ceiling increase mm-hmm. um, come late summer, if not sooner, honestly. Sure. Okay. There's not as much leverage out there as uh, um, as Republicans talk about. Okay. Very narrow. So it's the 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 largest likelihood is that they raise the debt ceiling as they have a hundred times in the past. Successfully a hundred times in the past. Correct. Yeah. And I think though, but this, the point that it's still in the markets it, it and being talked about in the media, we you could see as they go through this process, that volatility play out. Yeah. I mean, we have the, um, Credit, the pristine credit quality of the U.S. government uh, hinging on the game of chicken that our politicians are playing and the capital markets do not like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you go back to 2011, let's make the comparison. The markets were rattled a little bit. I would say the markets rattled politicians enough to get a deal done mm-hmm. um, uh, back in the summer of 2011 uh, when it declined about 12%. So for no fundamental reason, you know, corporate earnings were fine. Interest rates were fine. Um, it was really due to a um, postponed and delayed debt ceiling discussion. Um, and uh, the, the market sent a message and politicians listened. So I would say the third party in all of this will be the capital markets. And if a deal uh, doesn't sound like it's going to get done come late summer, the markets will push politicians to get the deal done. I'm quite confident in that. Yeah. And and uh, let's just take 2011, if we can, one step further, as I have in the middle of the page, you can see that the equity markets um, struggled a little bit during that time. And what you also see on this page here is the credit downgrade. Can you address uh, what the S&P did at the time? Yeah. So of the major credit rating institutions um, at the time in 2011, Standard & Poor's, who was owned by McGraw-Hill, um, Standard & Poor's jumped the gun and issued a credit warning and did a one-tier credit downgrade, pretty much stating if the U.S. government, uh, stating the obvious, if the U.S. government does not increase the debt ceiling, you should expect a a credit downgrade um, along with a one-tier downgrade. And um, quickly thereafter, the market started moving, the debt ceiling got increased, we had a deal, the market recovered, you know, in the the two or three months following. Um, And then the CEO of the Standard & Poor's was fired six months later. Um, I would say I don't expect these credit rating agencies to do anything like that ever again until there is actually a default. Um, To do it based on the future, right? Sure. 
after realizing that the debt ceiling has always been increased when it needed to, um, you know, for the past hundred years, um, you know, a downgrade is appropriate if we default, not if negotiations are tough. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that that's an important clarification because if they are going to compare to another period in time, 2011 seems to be the one that they're picking on. Correct. Yeah. So I, I think the other point is, is if when you look at this page and you look at some of the other timeframes that we went through this debt ceiling debate and we had some government shutdowns, um, even when the, the government was shut down, if you look at the middle of the page, the markets were positive and virtually almost all of the time on the right hand side during the crisis, uh, again, the markets, uh, the markets did reasonably well. So um, I think that this is a good indication that just because we're having this conversation around the debt ceiling, we shouldn't let, we shouldn't be frazzled by the market performance based on this alone. That's correct. And really, any turbulence related, short-term turbulence related to debt ceiling conversations, um, uh, sort of fades away within um, you know a month or two. Um, and sometimes it takes the market to be volatile to get. Um, politicians to vote for something, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I think that this topic, it's important, but I think we need to have some patience around uh, allowing them to to get to the point where they can continue to, to raise that limit. Yeah, this is a great topic for the media, right? At the end of the day, um, US credit default, um, debt ceiling, not, not being able to spend money, um, you know, Biden rolled out his seven trillion dollar budget uh, last week. Um, so, you know, I, look, I think this time around, I think both Republicans and many Democrats understand that this level of government spending is not sustainable. Thirty one plus trillion dollars in government debt is absolutely ridiculous. The debt service, the interest expense on the debt going forward could be astronomical, especially in a higher rate environment. Could be so big that the largest government expense could end up being interest on the debt, not Social Security, I think is an eye opener to um, both sides. Um, So um, hopefully there is some um, bipartisanship here in discussing how to move forward with federal finances, but we shall see. Okay. No, that's great. We appreciate the insight, Bob, and we will continue to update everyone uh, as we as we uh, uh, get more information. And and um, I, this conversation is not over, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it it, it will be soon enough. But uh, again, this video is to really to get underneath the debt ceiling, what it is, why why we think again this time uh, it won't be an issue. Uh, The debt ceiling will be increased uh, mostly because of it always being increased, um, but also because of the makeup of government, which nobody seems to be talking about. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks for your time. And Bob, thank you for your insights again. No, thank you. And hopefully it's helpful to our listeners. Please see the disclosures in the description of the podcast. This is not investment advice and should not be construed as such. Thank you for listening to Women on Wealth, by women, for women. Stay up to date by subscribing to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, please visit www.julinaogilvie.com or join us on Facebook and LinkedIn.